Welcome to the King's Word Bible Study. I'm your host, Brother Vinnie Fitzgerald, and today we're going to delve into the Bible to bring you insight from God's Word that will help you to grow and to develop into spiritual maturity. These lessons are designed to help guide you and strengthen you in your relationship with the Lord. Whether you've never opened the Bible or have read it cover to cover, this podcast will inform and uplift you. Our purpose is not only for you to know and to understand the King's Word, but for you to live it out in your day-to-day life. Philippians 4 and 9 tells us, Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Today our topic is going to be using our reasoning. Let's begin in Matthew chapter 16. In Matthew 16, beginning in the fifth verse, it says, And when his disciples were come to the other side, they had forgotten to take bread. Then Jesus said unto them, Take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, It is because we have taken no bread. Which when Jesus perceived, he said unto them, O ye of little faith, why reason ye among yourselves, because ye have brought no bread? Do ye not yet understand, neither remember the five loaves of the five thousand, and how many baskets ye took up? Neither the seven loaves of the four thousand, and how many baskets ye took up? How is it that you do not understand that I speak it not to you concerning bread, that you should beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees? Then understood they how that he bade them not beware of the leaven of bread, but of the doctrine of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. In this chapter, we find that the disciples were reasoning with each other. Verse 7 told us, and they reasoned among themselves. They were trying to figure out why Jesus had said what he said and what he meant by it. Verse 8 is important. It says, which when Jesus perceived, he said unto them, O ye of little faith, why reason ye among yourselves? Because ye have brought no bread. We find reasoning again mentioned here. But we need to note that he didn't rebuke them for reasoning. He rebuked them for the way in which they reasoned. God gave us our minds and all the faculties that come with it. He gave us the ability to reason, and He wants us to use it. But we have to use it in the right way. Everything that God gives us is good, in and of itself. It's when it's used in a way that He didn't intend for it to be used, that it then becomes bad. Our reason is a great asset to us, if we use it in the way that the Lord intended for it to be used. But on the other hand, it's detrimental to us if we use it wrongly. The disciples were reasoning wrongly, and we see this clearly in the word used for reason in verse 8. The Greek word for reason means to consider or debate with. Other versions of the Bible translate reason as discuss. The concordance goes on further to say that it means to thoroughly reckon or add up, to go back and forth when evaluating, in a way that typically leads to a confused conclusion. The term implies one confused mind interacting with other confused minds, each further reinforcing the original confusion. This shows us that they were going about it in the wrong way. They were confused, confusing each other, falling deeper and deeper into the trap of confusion. Confusion is the opposite of the result that reasoning should produce. Reasoning should always lead to a solid conclusion, never confusion. Confusion is not of God. 1 Corinthians 14.33 says, For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. Their reasoning was leading them further and further away from the right answer, because they were going about it all wrong. The Lord desires for us to reason, even with Him. Isaiah 1 and 18 says, 
Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. The word for reason in Hebrew means to decide, convince, prove, show to be right. This reveals to us how the Lord views our ability to reason, and this is why he wants us to reason. The Lord wants us to have a process of thought behind the decisions that we make. When we argue or discuss things with the Lord, he wants us to have reasons behind why we think we're right. He wants us to try to convince him using logic and reasons and truth. Most importantly, he desires for us to reason because he wants us to know why we believe what we believe. God never wants mindless submission from us. He wants her obedience to be grounded in the truth and in our love of God. He wants there to be something behind our belief and something behind our obedience. There has to be something substantial, something real, backing it up. There will be times when unbelievers come to us and ask us why we believe what we believe, and we have to be prepared for those times. 1 Peter 3 and 15 tells us, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks of you a reason of the hope that is in you, with meekness and fear. We can't just say that we have no reason, or that we don't know why we believe in the faith. We have to have sound reasons that make sense. The word for answer in this verse shows the importance of reasoning. The Greek word is apologia, which is where we get our modern term apologetics from. The word means a speech in defense, a verbal defense, particularly in a court of law. The concordance goes on to say that it means from intelligent reasoning, a well-reasoned reply, a thought-out response, to adequately address the issue that is raised. Reasoned defense is the term for making a legal defense in an ancient court. Modern biblical apologetics is used for supplying evidences for the Christian faith. It also tells us that an apology in classical times had nothing to do with saying I'm sorry, but rather was a reasoned argument and a defense that presented evidence and supplied compelling proof. Unbelievers need help. They're looking for answers. They're looking for reasons why they should come to Christ, and they need evidence and they need proof. This is why we need to be adequately prepared for when this conversation comes up. Because if we're not, and we don't give sufficient reasons, or don't use reason at all, we leave a soul in jeopardy. We do what the disciples did. We leave them confused about what to believe. When we don't give sufficient or adequate reasons, the blame is on us, because we should have been prepared. On the other hand, when we're sharing the faith and we're giving good, thoughtful reasons, whether they accept Christ or not, we've done our part. Now the ball is in their court. Now, using their free will, they can make their choice about what they want their future with God to be. But the key that is now, we've given them the truth, and now they're responsible for what they do with that truth. Even though this is the case, and what we're called to do, many Christians never reason, and this is because they're looking at reasoning the wrong way. There's a lie that has infiltrated churches today that says that reason and logic and rationality and the other faculties of the mind are not necessary for the Christian to utilize. The believer simply needs to walk by faith, even if it's blind faith. And this gives the impression that faith and reason are contrary to each other, that they're opposites. But this isn't at all what the Word of God teaches. There's a saying that says faith takes over where reason leaves off. But this couldn't be further from the truth. They are actually complementary if used correctly. They go hand in hand and are both necessary in our walk with God. The more we reason, the more faith that we should have. And this correlation works the other way also. 
In verse 8, it said, O ye of little faith, why reason ye among yourselves? Because ye have brought no bread. We find here both the wrong reasoning and little faith. They're proportional to each other. There's a direct connection between them. If our reasoning is stronger, we will find that our faith goes stronger also. It all starts with the same foundation. The foundation of reasoning starts with understanding. In verses 9 through 11, it said, Do ye not yet understand, neither remember the five loaves of the five thousand, and how many baskets ye took up? Neither the seven loaves of the four thousand, and how many baskets ye took up? How is it that ye do not understand, that I speak it not to you concerning bread, that ye should beware the leaven of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees? We see here understanding mentioned twice. Reason always must start with understanding. We even find that reason is a key part of operating in wisdom. James 3 and 17 in the English Standard Version says, But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. It all starts with understanding. It's the framework in which we reason. When Christians don't reason or reason wrongly, it's always traceable to a lack of understanding. Colossians 2 and 18 in the ESV says, Let no one disqualify you, insisting on aestheticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason, by a sensuous mind. The phrase without reason means without cause or ground, without basis, and therefore not to be taken seriously or considered valid. There's no basis, which shows a lack of understanding. When understanding is absent from a person's life, there's not just a spiritual void with nothing there. Ignorance takes its place, because ignorance is the opposite of understanding. Ephesians 4 and 18 tells us, Having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God, through the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart. Ignorance keeps people from rightly using their ability to reason. But God has not called us to ignorance. Two verses later, in verse 20, it says, But ye have not so learned Christ. He has called us to have and to operate in understanding. When it comes to reasoning's foundation of understanding, it has two key elements. The first element is truth. Our reasoning needs to be based on an understanding of the truth. We then must ask ourselves, what is truth, and where do we find it? Truth is defined as conformity to fact or reality, exact accordance with that which is, or has been, or shall be. We find this commonly in the natural realm, but we find that highest form of truth is in the spiritual realm. This is especially important when it comes to reasoning with unbelievers. As Christians, there are two sources upon which we should base our reasoning. The first source is the Word of God. The word is perfect, it's inerrant, without mistakes. Our understanding of this must be firm and unshakable, because if it's not, and if we then try to go convince others of the truthfulness of God's word, it will come off as weak and disingenuous, and in the end it will be ineffective. We can't expect others to believe that God's word is true if we don't believe it ourselves. We need to be assured of its truthfulness, and we find that assurance in the word itself. The Bible, unlike any other book ever written, validates itself, and it does this in a number of different ways. It validates itself through fulfilled prophecies, through its historical accuracy, and through parallel passages, which although written by different people and at different times and in different places, still perfectly correlate and shed light on each other. The more time and the more effort that we put into studying God's Word, and the deeper that we dig into it, the more and more assured we become of its truth. 
until we believe beyond a reasonable doubt. The word witnesses of itself. John 17 and 17 says, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. And 2 Timothy chapter 3 verses 16 through 17 tell us, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the men of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. The second and the most important source of truth is God. He is truth in its purest form. Since we saw that the word is truth, we know that God is truth, since the word is simply the expression of him. He is the embodiment and the personification of the word. John 1 and 14 says, And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. When we are reasoning with others, we need to appeal to God's attributes and characteristics, which are truth. We need to refer back to him because he is truth. John 14 and 6 says, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Since he is the word, and since he is truth, when he speaks, he speaks truth, upon which we can then reason. The second element of understanding after truth is experience. Our experiences give us further evidence and proof by which we can then reason. This is not just any experience. This is experiencing the truth, the truth of God and the truth of his word. The word of God validates itself and can perfectly stand alone. But when we then experience the word for ourselves in our day-to-day lives in a practical way, it validates the word even further because it becomes first-hand experiential knowledge which will naturally inform our reasoning. So then when the time comes, when we're reasoning with an unbeliever, we can tell them the gospel by telling them the word of God and then by sharing our experiences of how we became born again and how God changed our life. Your experiences are real practical evidence of God's truth lived out. It shows that the word always comes to pass and that the promises of God can really be ours today. 1 John chapter 4, verses 13-14 through 14 say, Hereby know we that we dwell in him, and he in us, because he hath given us of his Spirit. And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. The first part of verse 16 says, And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. Verse 19 says, We love him because he first loved us. In these verses, John reasons with us based on things that he personally saw and experienced. For him, this was first-hand experiential knowledge. He met Jesus, he felt the love of God, and he had the Holy Spirit within him. These were all real experiences rooted in truth. We need to be careful and use discernment because some Christians claim to have had experienced things that they never did. Far from being rooted in truth, these are rooted in lies. And this only does harm. Colossians 2 and 18 in the King James Version says, Let no man beguile you of your reward in a voluntary humility and worshiping of angels, intruding into those things which they have not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind. We need to be cautious that the experiences reasoned with are authentic and credible. We need to understand both truth and experience as our frame of mind in order to reason correctly. Let's go to Luke chapter 4. In Luke chapter 4, beginning in the first verse, it says, And Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being forty days tempted of the devil, and in those days he did eat nothing. 
And when they were ended, he afterward hungered. And the devil said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, command this stone that it be made bread. And Jesus answered him, saying, It is written, that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. And the devil, taking him up into a high mountain, showed unto him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said unto him, All this power will I give thee, and the glory of them. For that is delivered unto me, and to whomsoever I will I give it. If thou therefore will worship me, all shall be thine. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Get thee behind me, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. And he brought him to Jerusalem, and set him on a pinnacle of the temple, and said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down from hence, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. And Jesus answering said unto him, It is said, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. We find here Jesus being tempted by the devil, and we see the back and forth going on between them. They were arguing and reasoning together. Three times he answered the devil, and we see that each time he exhibited reasoning. Every time that he reasoned, he used the word of God. Even the last time when the devil attempted to twist the word of God to mean something that it didn't mean, we find that Jesus stayed faithful to the word as it was written and to its original meaning. He reasoned with what he knew to be true. This is an interesting insight into perfect reasoning. But since we are still beholden to this fallen world, we need to look at a human example because perfection is outside of our capabilities. We find a good example in Paul. He knew how to reason with unbelievers. Acts 17 and 17 in the ESV says, So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Paul was a Pharisee. He was well learned in the Jewish law. He knew the gospel and he experienced Christ firsthand on the road to Damascus, which is why his reasoning was so effective. When he spoke to the Jews, he reasoned using Jewish law. Then right after when he spoke to the Greeks, he reasoned with them by quoting their own poets because he had understanding. And we see the effect that it had, not only in his life, but also in the lives of countless others. This is the difference that good reasoning can make. It can be something that draws people to God, or it can be something that pushes them away from God, depending on how it is used. God wants us to use our reason in the right way. It could be one of our greatest assets, but we have to use it. We don't have to be like the disciples, who only confused each other by faulty reasoning. We can reason the right way. We all have understanding. We all know the truth. We've all experienced the Lord. And that's why we're listening to this program today. But we have to let this inform our reasoning. We need to be ready to give an answer for our faith at any and all times. When we get and stay prepared, we'll be amazed at the difference that it will make. One of the greatest benefits is that it builds us up and strengthens our faith. Because now we see what's behind our faith. We see that it's real and that it's defensible. And most importantly, we know why we believe what we believe. Let's make the choice today to use our reason, and to honor God with our understanding. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we thank you for this day, and we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for our minds and for our ability to reason, our ability to use logic, and all the other faculties of the mind that you have put within us. Lord, we desire to use our reasoning in a way that honors you. Lord, we rebuke and curse all those attacks of the enemy 
that attempt to take our reasoning and twist it to get us to use it in a way that is dishonoring to you and in a way that will draw us away from you. Lord, today we make that commitment to reason based off of the truth of your word and the truth of your character of who you are as our God. Lord, we know that you are truth personified. And we thank you that you have put your Holy Spirit within us to guide us and to lead us in the way that we should reason. And Lord, when that time arises, when we're speaking to an unbeliever and giving them the truth of the gospel, Lord, we thank you that you will give us the ability to reason in the right way and that you will help us to use our discernment to know what to say and what the right thing is in that moment that that person needs to hear. And Lord, we thank you that you use us as your vessel to help open the eyes of an unbeliever to come to the truth of your gospel. Lord, we thank you for all these different abilities that you've given us. What you've created within inside your people is amazing and wonderful. And Lord, we desire to use it in a way that glorifies your name and in a way that honors you and your kingdom. Lord, we thank you for all that you're doing in our lives. We thank you for all the people that are going to come to the Lord because of our reasoning. And we thank you that you have set us apart for your purpose. And Lord, we give you all the honor and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you want to use your reason rightly and have Jesus as a part of your life today, all you need to do is to invite Jesus into your heart to be your personal Lord and Savior. You then need to repent of your sins and ask for his forgiveness. Then you trust that you've been forgiven and you ask for his free gift of eternal life. Now, if you prayed this from a sincere heart and you truly meant it, then you are now a part of the family of God. Welcome to God's family. We want to thank everybody for listening today. We appreciate you taking out your time to spend with us. If you'd like to give us feedback and tell us how much you appreciate this show, you can contact us at kingswordbiblestudy at gmail.com. If you'd like to learn more about this program and this ministry, you can visit kingswordbible.com. We appreciate it also if you write a review from wherever you're listening to this podcast from. And if you follow and subscribe so that more people can hear the King's Word for themselves. God bless you. We want you to know that we love you all. And we will see you next week as we continue to study the King's Word together.